Hi everyone, welcome to the Dr. Debrso podcast. Joining me this week is Grace Ladinsky Smith. Grace is a detransitioned woman and the president of the Gender Care Consumer Advocacy Network. She was interviewed in the 60 Minutes segment on detransitioners that aired last year. I'm not sure if you heard about the episode. It's not like trans activists made a fuss about it or anything. In this episode, we discuss some potentially heavy subjects, including suicide and suicidal ideation. As I've said before, please do not use this podcast as therapy as it is only for informational purposes. I do not do clinical work anymore and I can't give advice specific to anyone's situation. If you are struggling, I have included the number to a suicide hotline in the show notes. And if you are experiencing gender dysphoria, I'd also recommend seeking therapy with a mental health professional, as difficult as it may be to find clinicians who are politically neutral in today's climate. If you'd like to learn more about the growing phenomenon of detransitioners, the non-binary trend, and the science behind why children with gender dysphoria should not transition, I discuss this in my book, The End of Gender. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. You can also find me on Patreon, as well as Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Deborah So. For audio buffs who may be listening, I am recording this section of today's episode a few days after my interview with Grace using a different microphone. As a result, you'll probably hear a bit of a difference in my voice between the two days. Enjoy. Thank you so much, Grace, for coming on my podcast. I'm really excited to get to speak with you. I know that the subject of detransitioning is probably not the most fun topic to talk about. So I really appreciate that you do speak so openly about it. I don't doubt that you sharing your story has helped so many young women, both young women who may be detransitioning or who are thinking about transitioning, who may realize that it may not be the right choice for them. So I really applaud you for speaking about this and for doing it in such a courageous way. Thank you so much. So I want to start by asking you about what initially led you to decide to transition. Um, And so you decided to transition in your early 20s. How old were you at the time? I was 22. So you were on testosterone for four months before you had a double mastectomy. And then you were on hormones for another five months after that before deciding to detransition. Yeah. So what initially made you decide, because you were not non-binary for a bit before deciding to identify as male, what what initially led you down that path? So I think that uh, the reason that I used that framework to understand my suffering I was going through is that I was extremely involved in like um, a trans like and like gender studies style world in college. Like that was something I studied a lot. It was something that my, like my friend group was into. And even before that I had been like really absorbed into like social justice style world stuff on Tumblr and on the internet since I was like a young teenager. So um, I think that that was kind of my a framework that I used to think about the world a lot. And I thought about things a lot in terms of like, you know, structural oppression and gender, you know, gender roles being this like thing that is always uh, strangling us and destroying <laughs> our lives, like this kind of perspective. So um, I think I was coming from really from that kind of of framework. And then when I was uh, like 21 or 22, I had um, like sort of a, a severe depression and mental health crisis um, where I was very emotionally low and was really looking for answers. And during that time, I had like an epiphany style realization that I thought I was trans um, that was like, you know, based off maybe like having like noticing some sensations in my body of like wanting 
like having this persistent desire to like take my breasts off and like change my body. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking about what that could mean. And I started researching transition and like signs you could be transgender. And the more that I read about it, the more that I was able to like find things in my life that fit into that narrative and became more and more convinced, uh, basically through like obsessively reading about it and researching it. I became extremely convinced that I was transgender um, and that it would help me if I could transition. And so what were the next steps after that when you made the decision that this was going to be something you want to pursue and this was going to be something that would potentially make you feel better? Yeah. Um, so I, I went to a, a gender therapist for a couple sessions um, and just told her, told her sort of why I thought I was trans and that the, the kinds of discomfort and like anxiety in my body that I had now decided were, were related to my incongruent gender identity. I was like, well, I've been feeling this kind of thing. You know, I've been having these struggles my whole life. I just didn't realize that they were due to gender. And she was like, okay, that sounds right. So, so lightly gender therapied. And then I went to a informed consent gender doctor who prescribed me testosterone. Um, and for that, I just went in and, uh, she asked me why I wanted to transition. And I said, being a woman doesn't work for me. And she's like, okay. And she gave me a prescription for testosterone, which I came back and got my first shot, um, like a couple of days later. So it's pretty easy. So you had a couple of sessions of therapy, talk therapy, you saw this doctor, and then you came back for a second session with the doctor and got hormones administered. Yeah, I got the yeah, the, I got the prescription on the first session and then they told me to come back a couple of days later and they'd show me how to inject it into my thigh. Wow. Did it, did yeah. either of them ask you about other things that might be going on in your life or any mental health history questions? They did get my mental health records. Mm-hmm. I had, <laughs> as is so common with us detransitioners, I had some other diagnoses um, Mm. and some stuff that had been going on. And at the time I was struggling with like really, I had a very deep depression and including like some suicidal thoughts Mm -hmm. that were alarming to me and, and making me feel like scared and, and like desperate for a solution. So I did talk about that with my, with my therapist, not so much with the doctor, but I think I just was like, but I'm pretty sure I figured it out. Like I figured it out. It's because I'm trans, like, you know, it's all, mm-hmm. it, it all makes sense. It's because I'm trans. So, so, and I think she accepted that without, you know, without too much question. The discussion of suicide, I think is a really, I want to be very careful the way I talk about this, because I do think, you know, I've always said this, I do think transition can help some people, but I do think in many mm-hmm. cases, it's potentially a band-aid solution or people are rushed through the process. And from your writing, my sense is also, there. there's a sentiment uh, that this suicide narrative, that transition will solve any problems, basically, or that mm-hmm. um, if someone is experiencing suicidal ideation, that they need to transition right away or the lack of being able to transition is going to worsen that ideation and that questioning it is also a part of the problem. What do you think would be a better way to approach that? Because I understand as for parents and also for healthcare professionals, medical professionals, they, I think for some of them, they are well-meaning and they believe what the activists are saying. And they, of course, also want to help their patients. I I imagine it must be difficult because, I mean, I don't work with this population clinically. So I I imagine it 
it's probably difficult to parse out how do you gently challenge somebody while also being sensitive, I guess, to the potential being there for self-harm or for suicidal threat. No, gosh, it's so, it's so tricky. And I have, I have a lot of sympathy for people who are trying to figure out how to d- handle this in a clinical setting. Mm. I'm certainly not really qualified to say, but I think, you know, it is, it is kind of a huge problem. And also I think can turn into a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is that there's this narrative that like, you know, it's life or death to transition. And like, if you're suicidal and you're fixated on transition, then that's like a sign that you really need to go ahead. And I know that this is not something that every trans person says, but you know, you will often hear people say like, oh, do you want a dead child or a trans child? Mm -hmm. Do you want a, you know, a dead son or a happy daughter, like this kind of thing. And you know, I, I know that some trans people feel that way about their transitions. They feel like it was life-saving. But at the same time, the fact that this is such a prevalent narrative, it's so, you know, it's so opposed to the, like, it gets better, like, gay gay rights yeah. slogan from before that's like, you know, hang in there. I think it's, I really wish this rhetoric would not be so common in, like, when people are talking about figuring out transition, because I think it leads people to oversimplify and it leads people to to genuinely be worried that that their mental health is going to to you know be destroyed and they're going to kill themselves if they can't transition and i think that kind of rush and pressure leads people to not be able to like really think things through and like think realistically about what is possible mm-hmm. in transition because you know it's it's not magic yeah. it's and and if it if it you know, depending on what you do, it's, you really can't go back. So if, and if you're already suicidally depressed and transition doesn't have the right effect on you, you know, I, you know, I was very lucky to have the kind of support that I had, but I think there are people who find themselves in a really bad situation. When you wrote about your decision to detransition, you wrote, my feelings of gender dysphoria increased. So this was just after surgery. My feelings of gender dysphoria increased. My obsession migrated to my hips, my voice, and my very mannerisms. The top half of my body looked okay, but what was I going to do about my hips, the way I moved? I was more obsessed than ever before with monitoring myself. I told myself I was being liberated, but really it felt like I was stacking the bricks to my own prison walls. Wow. So... Can, can you describe what that process was like in terms of the realization and then your decision to detransition? Yeah. So a lot of people are sort of like, okay, you had gender dysphoria and now you're detransitioning. Like, how does that work? But to me, to me, it's like, um, you know, I was expecting, I had always had body neuroses, very honestly, very like female, typical, very female typical. obsession, projection onto my body eating issues, this kind of thing, always very like neurotic and uncomfortable, you know, through a lot of my adolescence in life. So what I was expecting was that I would start transitioning and I had this like ideal male self that I was like, this is going to be like the real me, this anxiety is going to fall away. I'm going to feel better. I had an expectation for how my emotional landscape would change. And I was noticing that instead of and instead of things getting easier, there would be a quick moment of excitement and like happiness. Whenever I hit a milestone, like testosterone or surgery, I was like, this is great. But then 
it would be like a high and then I would go back down and the obsession and the project of turning my body male would just migrate to a new part. And I mean, like I have, you know, I have very feminine mannerisms. I talk like this, I, you know, (laughs) I don't think I especially passed at any point as male, but it was. And so I was thinking like, okay, like don't talk how you talk, you know, don't move how you move, you know? And I was, I was, you know, slowly I was realizing that the, the highs of each step were temporary, but what was getting more and more, um, what was feeling more and more all consuming was even more preoccupation with my body. And it would, did not have the corresponding feeling of like being myself that I, I thought it would, which I know is kind of a trip to talk about, mm-hmm. like being my true self. Like, I don't know, I don't know what that really means anymore, but, um, so what, what, and then what happened was I was reading about other stories from other trans men who were saying like, yeah, I, you know, my dysphoria migrated each step I took, it migrated. And I had to, you know, I had to do the full physical transition. And I was starting to wonder like, what if I do everything? Like, what if I get phalloplasty and what if I do everything that I can do and it's still not enough. And then I started thinking like, you know, maybe I have, maybe, you know, this has been such an all consuming obsession, but, you know, maybe, maybe the obsession is, is self-perpetuating. Um, and then, so I was still like incredibly preoccupied and monitoring my feelings and monitoring myself and monitoring how people were reacting to me. And it was just miserable. Um, so I decided I would go off testosterone for a little bit because I kept having these flashes of fear that I'd made a mistake Mm. and I went off testosterone and the testosterone had been acting as like a sort of a suppressant on, on my emotions of like sadness and uncertainty. I I had thought I was depressed before, but then I really fell into a, a huge, huge pit of despair because it was dawning on me that I had in fact probably made a mistake. Mm. And then I was, I was really like, um, it just was awful. I, I, and everything fell away. Like the preoccupation with my body fell away and it was just replaced with total, um, like the, the whole project of gender transition for myself. It, it just felt like it didn't make any sense anymore. I no longer had any faith that it would take me somewhere that was going to help. And I felt like I had ruined my life. So I, I fell into a huge depression. And during that time, I just kind of just gave up on just I had to give up. I had to put up the white flag and realize I'd been going down the wrong path. Were any of these concerns brought up prior to your decision to transition? Was did anyone to myself? Um, for yourself or other people, like in, in the context, even I would say of care that you received in terms of a long term plan, or was it was it more so like one thing at a time? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, a, like wondering how the long term transition is going to go. Mm-hmm. Because for transition, for most people, it's not just going to be one thing, it's going to be several things, or at least a consideration of several things. I mean, I guess, I, I like I said, like my, you know, the therapist I went to and the doctors I went to weren't really interested in discussing that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I have to take responsibility that I also didn't really bring it up with them. Um, although now I think that they should have talked to me about it um, because they were the professionals. I think I had, um, you know, my, my, fia- my fiance actually at, at one point was like, well, what do you think is going to happen here? Well, he was my boyfriend at the time, mm-hmm. but you know, he was like, he's like, what do you think? 
I think he had sort of been like, okay, this makes sense. But then, you know, after maybe like sometime around surgery, he was like, what, like, what are you, what do you think is going to happen? Because you can't, you know, you can't really change sex. Right. And I think I was like, but like, you can, but like, it's close enough. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, (laughs) there was some, some sense of being, (laughs) and he was like, uh, I guess, I guess so. (laughs) Like, so like, are you sure you know what you're doing? But it's like, oh yeah, no, definitely. And then, um, so I think some, you know, some of my family members and my, my boyfriend were sort of questioning, but not from the professionals. Uh, they, I just don't think they think it's their place. I think that they think that the, the diagnostics that they do, uh, they I think they think it's just a formality and it's not any of their business, I think is the current attitude of gender professionals. Hmm. So when you say they don't think it's their, their place as in to tell you what to do or to challenge you in any way that makes you uncomfortable? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think they think that that's, I mean, I went, I went back and I talked to my gender, uh, the person who prescribed me hormones. Mm-hmm. I actually tried to talk to all of my professionals, but she was the only one who would talk to me to her credit. Oh. Uh, and she's just said, she's like, I don't know. I don't know how I would know if anyone's trans. It's not my business to tell someone if they're trans or not. It's not my place to offer gate. She's like, I don't want to, I don't want to gatekeep anything, mm. which is the term they use for doing right. any kind of assessments. She's just like, I just, I just would rather not do that at all, which I, I really disagree with that attitude because I think, um, I think there's sort of this, uh, this idea that this is like a medical treatment for a condition. And it's like, I feel like there should be some, some diagnostics at least available Mm -hmm. for people. Like, I feel like they should at least be like, Hey, in past research, we've, you know, we've done this kind of thing, at least think about it, which they didn't do. Um, I don't know if it should be mandated, but yeah, it's just, it's just, that's just the attitude. I think that's very popular among gender clinicians. It's just like, it's none of their business. They're not worried about it. Wow. I mean, they will write the prescription. (laughs) (laughs) I can understand, I guess, to some extent, because maybe for those who are especially empathic, they think I don't want to make this more challenging for someone who's going to benefit from it. But at the same time, they Mm -hmm. have a body of knowledge that I think the patient would benefit from knowing about. Mm-hmm. It's such a tricky balance. There's something I feel that is very relatable to your story and detransitioner stories. I've said this before. I feel like I feel every woman can relate to this on some level, even though we haven't gone through the same thing. What is it that you and I, I don't like for people listening, I please don't put words in Grace's mouth. This is my perspective. I do think that on some level, young women are probably looking at their male peers and saying, my life would be easier as a man. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that all men have an easy life, but I think for some of the things that women have to deal with, say with being sexualized by society, in some instances we do experience sexism, and we look at men and we say, well, they don't deal with that, so if, we, if I don't want to deal with this, if I were a man, I wouldn't have to deal with it. So I think from that perspective, it makes sense. What is it about transition or about living as male or a third gender that is so appealing, do you think, to young women? Because this is a phenomenon that we see predominantly in young women. It's it's happening in men too, but it's more so uh-huh. in women. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um oh yes, this is something um I think you said like absolutely right. I think, you know, there are absolutely things that women face that, you know, that does seem to be much more of a problem for women like 
I, I think it's easy to feel very uncomfortable with the expectations for your sex. I'm sure it is for men too, but you know, for women, um, and the feelings of, you know, maybe, uh, being uncomfortable with, with feeling sexualized and this may be feeling like a different sort of path, especially as gender identity starts to include basically, uh, like it's like sort of like an aesthetic subculture at this point. Mm -hmm. I think the, um, you know, there's like a associated styles of dress and, you know, even just like comporting yourself in a, in a less feminine and sexualized way, I often see as like used synonymously with, you know, being non-binary or something. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also an idea that taking on the identity and taking on the pronouns, like is liberating from like, expectations that will otherwise be put upon you as a woman or mm. something. And, and I think that we're, you know, increasingly as a society, we're hyper aware of these ideas about like feminism and about like structural oppression and things like that. And I sometimes feel I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I feel like on one level, it's like, you know, you experience like sexism and, and these things that are like endemic to, you know, that happen to women and you experience that and you're like, well, this sucks. But then I think also sometimes you can be in these spaces, like I felt this with gender studies a lot, where we were so focused on the things in society that were like oppressive or whatever, like being like spending all this time hyper-focused on being like, oh, we're in this structure of oppression and like, mm. you know, you're never safe. And it's, and and that to me, like makes it worse. Like, like it makes life feel worse and yeah. more fraught and dangerous than it, than it otherwise would. I don't know. Uh, I I tend to think that the the rhetoric around this stuff can can make it more tempting to to disidentify. Um, I don't know. It's it's complicated. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think with gender studies, I find it it's this weird conundrum because it's supposed to be about well, women's studies. I would say was about trying to bring about equality for women, promoting women. It's been rebranded as gender studies to now include, I guess, trans activism. And that to me seems to really push for the erasure of women or the or making women who are in any way different or who, who don't feel that stereotypical or female stereotypes encompass them that, OK, you're not a woman at all. And that's just such a bizarre way of thinking. What other aspects of I can only imagine what they were teaching in that program, but I'm curious what other messages were they teaching young women about this ideology that you feel is maybe leading to what we're currently seeing in the culture? I just think that the, yeah, well, you said something about, you know, like erasure of women and saying maybe the, the recent example of that, um, there was like a, a woman who lived in disguise as a man so she could be a doctor. People were like, oh, well, that was a trans man. But it's like, well, to me, that's like, you know, that's one frame. Like that's, you can put on that frame yeah. and be like, okay. So, <laughs> so, um, and I think that what I find really harmful about, how do I say this? It's, it's a strange way to focus on ordering the world is, is deciding that the idea of sex is oppressive because I think, I think the gender studies lens is like, well, we think that there's, you know, there's this patriarchal idea that there's two sexes, but look at all these stereotypes that have been piled 
on each sex. So what we should do is we should destroy the sex, the, the sex binary, set, like destroy that idea because, you know, there are, you know, there's intersex, there's mm-hmm. ways that it's complicated, but there generally is a binary. Um, and I think they're saying they have this idea that if you get rid of, if, if you have sex be something that is entirely based on like interior feelings, that will be better. Hmm. But I don't like, I'm no longer, and I, I used to be on board with that as like a societal project of being like, oh, if we could all categorize like our gender identity based right. on how we feel inside, then we'll be free. But, <laughs> but my experience is like, well, you know, you just kind of are the sex that you are. And there's stuff you can do to your body and there's stuff you can dress. There's ways you can dress. There's ways you can act. But it's like, it's not clear to me what the utility that like this so-called like liberating revolutionary project of being like, and that means sex isn't real. That means sex is actually this interior felt thing. It's just not clear to me why that is such a useful project that liberates people. Because to me, it, it just leads to sort of, you know, obsessive focus on yourself and I don't know. It just, it just seems like you can do all that without the gender identity. Now I know that there are trans people who are like, no, I do want to live. I want to live quietly as, as the sex opposite to the one that I was born as. And that's fine. And I, I get that. But I think the, the project of dismantling sex yeah. for the whole society is like, I don't know why we're trying to do that. I think it's part of the, a larger push or desire to just destroy everything. It's not even about <laughs> sex and gender. It's just this is one other way that they can completely overturn everything that currently exists in society. When you when you talk about how people are taking on this, I forget the word that you actually used, you just used, but it to describe basically how it's almost like a lifestyle or it's like a fashion now in terms of mm-hmm. being a third gender. What mm-hmm. does that, can you describe for people listening what that com- encompasses? Because we, I think it's, it's like androgyny, but not quite. I'm not as hip as you I used like to be. So. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm trying to, how would you describe <laughs> the style? Because I, from what I see, it's people who are basically gender nonconforming. So if you have a woman who wants to wear men's clothing or maybe cut her hair short, I would think, why can't you just be a woman wearing men's clothing and having a short haircut? But what is the the social capital that comes with that or the the appeal of it? Uh, I mean, it's to me, it's it's a youth, it's a subculture. It's not just a youth mm-hmm. subculture. It's mostly a youth subculture. And, you know, it's a, it's a movement. It's an ideological movement. Um, so I feel like it's sort of like, like, when I was a teenager, I was not a trans teenager. I was into scene fashion, emo fashion. <laughs> um, and if I had been a teenager in like the 80s, maybe I would have been into, you know, whatever they were in the 80s. But it just was the youth culture the time. So that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See, <laughs> I missed out. But um, so to me, it's like, you know, the question of like, why do people have to do the pronouns? Why do people... Uh, you know, why can't you just be a woman who wears men's clothing? I think it's because there's like a moral project here, which is again, that I think people think that it's liberating to be like, well, being female doesn't have to mean being a woman or being mm. assigned female at birth doesn't have to mean being a woman. And, but it, it's, it to me, having been in it and then out of it, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a brain, it's, it's kind of confusing because it's like, well, 
you know, we're just kind of playing with semantics and words at this point of being like, oh, well, if you call me a woman, that's, you know, that's misunderstanding something about who I really am. But if you call me non-binary, that's more affirming, but it's, it's all just, you know, especially in these subcultures where it's, it's not really even people medically transitioning. It mm-hmm. just seems all about the words and they've become very important, but it's, I don't know, it, it feels very fashion based to me. Um, and it's, I could see how it would be confusing to outsiders. I find it confusing and I lived it. So. To what extent do you think the people identifying this way are aware that that's why they're doing it? Um, hmm. I don't know. I, there definitely are uh, like trans thinkers that I follow and people who are very like savvy and are like, well, this is, you know, this is how queerness asserts itself now, or this is, you know, this is just the expression of the moment. Um, and I think they're kind of like, well, what's wrong with that? Like, what's wrong with doing these pronouns and doing this kind of thing? Like, it's a form of self expression. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to which us critics, maybe do have some actual things that are like, okay, well, what about, I don't know, there, there are, there are things to critique the ideology, but I think, I think people can fold in the fact that it is of the moment and still think that it's a worthwhile project. Because I wonder when, say I talk about how non-binary is not backed by science and some people get really upset about that. I wonder to what extent that their emotional response or their disliking of what I'm saying is due to the fact that they know what I'm saying is true. Oh, spicy. (laughs) Um, Don't protest too much. Um, Do you feel that like if people criticize you, do you feel to some extent they're projecting on you or that they, they know that what you're saying is true? Oh, a great question for people getting mad at me, but I think you're right. I hate to say it, but I mean, you know, I think that there is a lot of cognitive dissonance. I guess I can only truly speak for myself, but I think when I was trans identified, there is a lot of cognitive dissonance because obviously like I know that I'm female, but I I think that there is this other aspect of myself that is actually the real me that's male Mm -hmm. and I'm moving towards it and I'm hoping to achieve it in some way, but some part of me knows that that's never going to happen. And to have that brought up is very painful because it negates something that I spent a huge part of my time and like, you know, literal like blood, like going towards. Um, So it is, it's painful because it negates, I think, yeah, I think it reveals something that is like, you just don't want to acknowledge, but you probably do know on some level is true. Hmm. What advice do you have for young women or maybe young people more broadly who may be considering transition? I mean, it's, it's really hard. I don't think, I don't think a young person considering transition would be very likely to listen to me, but Mm. if they, if they were willing to hear me, I would say, um, I would say it's important to be really, to be really thoughtful and to be really honest about the limitations of what's possible with transition. And I basically would just be a huge wet blanket and say, <laughs> you need to be really clear on, on what the limitations of these things you're getting yourself into. And I, I would honestly encourage people to try to 
think seriously about other issues that are going on in their lives and other mental health issues and think about trying to contend with those first. And I would advise to not spend all your time marinating in trans online spaces Mm -hmm. and, and take yourself out of those for a while and see how you feel. And, you know, you may still want to transition and you may still transition, but I think that if you can come at it with clear eyes and not in like an internet radicalization spiral, the outcome will be better. And also you're more likely to figure out, you know, just a better, clearer view of what's really going on in your psyche. When you say you're doubtful that people would listen to you, why is that? Well, um, I think that people like me who like detransition and then have critiques about gender identity are considered transphobic. Um, mm-hmm. And to that word, I think, um, you know, there's huge amounts of fear in the trans community about transphobia and about oppression you know, it's very based in this, like, very, like, oppression-aware framework that so much other uh, of this, like, you know, social justice stuff is. And I think that when you're when you're considered, like, a turf or, or transphobic, it's like, you know, you might as well be, like, a Nazi. Like, they're, mm. they think that I want, you know, that they're, like, afraid that I want them dead or something. Like, you know, some of these people, you know, they think that I'm, not everyone, but there I've had trans people you know, talking to me like I, I'm trying to like, you know, t- just make it so trans people don't exist or something. Right. <laughs> anyway, it's really crazy. They take it to such an extreme. Me, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I, and I know, you know, I get things. It's a stressful time and it's, there's a lot going on with trans stuff right now, but it's, it's really histrionic. Mm-hmm. What about for detransitioners who might be listening? What would you say to them? I would say, I'd say don't, don't kill yourself. Don't, don't panic. Like just, you know, depending on the situation, I know it can be really awful because on the one hand you have physical changes to your body that you can probably, maybe you can undo them. Maybe you can't. Um, And you probably also have had your worldview sort of fall apart to some extent. Maybe, maybe not, but that, that's at least what had happened to me. And I think it can feel like your life is ruined, but um, I have known many detransitioners who have, you know, been through all stages. It's really hard. I'm not going to lie that it's easy and that things will be the same. You know, some things can't be undone and that's really hard, but um, you can always, there's always hope and you can always build, you can always rebuild your life and find meaning. And I would just say, you know, reach out. (laughs) I'm on Twitter. There's people, there's the subreddit and like there is hope and there is life after detransition. Um, and if, if you just detransitioned and you're in a horrible crisis, it does get better. So just say, hang in there and reach out. And my sense from your writing is that being a detransitioner is only one part of your identity. It's not everything about you. It's not everything about any individual person. At some point, a person's going to want to move on in their life to the next chapter. So what has helped you do that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I feel so passionately that um, detrans like detransition, I don't think is like, should be like a lifestyle in the same way that transition is like, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense to move on. And I know I say that being kind of like a talking head detransitioner, but that's because I'm a, a loud mouth who loves to talk about stuff. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I have benefited so much 
from focusing on work and focusing on uh, like my relationship and my friends and trying to move outward yeah. and like focus focusing on doing things and also on writing. Like I think expression, I think expression and sort of the the exorcism that you do about writing about your experiences can be so good. You're a beautiful writer. I want everybody to know. I want them Thank to you. go to your your blog and read. I'll I'll post all the links after. Thank you. Yeah. So I think I think it's important to process, but I think then it's important to move on to be like your own individual self, especially if you are someone who sort of took on trans identity as a way of like annihilating and trying to become a new person. Um, I think it can be really helpful, especially to like get back into things that maybe you loved when you were younger. Like I used to play the flute when I was a kid and I took that up again. And it was like, you know, just, just being able to look outside of the interior like what's going on with me and like mm. turn outward to the beautiful things in the world and to being a person who can do things and be there for other people and you know just be a member of society is really really helpful for for healing the feelings inside and also building a beautiful life. Yeah, I love that. What would you say to parents because I get so many parents who ask me about what to do. I mean, I always say, you know, try to find a therapist as much as you can who is not on board with this gender ideology train, but from mm -hmm. your perspective and your experience, what would you say to parents if they have a child who wants to go down this in this direction? That's hard. Um I don't know, except I think it's important, um, at least in the kind of trans world that I was in, I remember feeling very defensive and very brittle about my identity. And I remember like, I think that I was very closed off from like my parents and like didn't, I didn't want to talk about it with them because when they would ask me questions like, okay, but why, you know, why do you have to do this? That, you know, I would be like, well, I just, I do, you don't understand. Um, but I think that as much as you can keep lines of communication open and really like listen um, and listen and try not to freak out um, and try to be able to like converse, even even if you're really freaking out and, and worried, understandably, I think that's really important. And um, I think you should try to understand what your child is going through and like what they mean. Uh, and and I think you should, should educate yourself on like what gender identity means so that you can, you know, understand like what what is happening. Because I think that when people are doing this, they're trying to do something constructive, which is to, you know, figure out what kind of person they are and figure out how to how to live their life. Yeah, just being being educated, looking into the resources there are for parents and just trying to to keep from becoming estranged. Um, and just, you know, show the love that's there. I don't know what else you can do. Yeah, I think this theme that you're touching on about having a full and meaningful life outside of anything that has to do with gender is important. And I would say for parents as well to try and have this relationship. Again, this is just advice for me, not for any specific situation mm -hmm. or any, any one specific situation. But I would just say to try and have a relationship with your child that has nothing to do with gender, even if that's the thing that they are really focused on. And for an individual to try and find meaning in, in the world outside of this ideology or outside of this community, because with trans activism, it's very much about you have to support very specific tenets 
if you are in favor of the community. And so that's why I think it can be dangerous for some people who are in these quote unquote spaces. I feel like that's a very progressive term, but I'll use it <laughs> in these spaces uh-huh. that you have to go along with all of these points. And if you question any of them, then you're a traitor and you're going to get booted out. So people who are in the community, who stay in the community, basically have to be brainwashed or they have to just go along with everything that they're being told, which is not, I mean, it's cult like. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, of course it's, you know, there are different, there are different communities and there are different norms in different places. But I think insofar as there are norms that are distributed via the internet that I think are the most commonly understood ones, I think you're right that it is, it is a very, um, what's the word? It's like there's a there's an orthodoxy that mm-hmm. that people I think are expected to stick to, or they're considered you know kind of shocking and maybe like a self hating trans person, you know. <laughs> when it's really just like, well, you just don't have to, you just don't have to think the same way. Yeah. What is it about the internet that has made it such a powerful vehicle for gender ideology? Oh, well, um, I think you know we're all we're all up to probably like you know, 23 hours of screen time a day or something. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's omnipresent now. Um, so anything, I feel like everyone is is so prone to getting radicalized in some direction mm-hmm. or another. I say radicalized, maybe that's the wrong word, just because we're just in these, these little silos. Um, but also, this is not, this is an idea that I have not developed independently. This is like my friend Helena and like my friend, uh, default friend and and uh, some other people have been talking about this, but I think that as we're more online, we're more dissociated from our material bodies and we're more invested in our like online personas and our our online selves that we construct. And I think insofar as you know we spend all our time on there, it can start to feel like, well, that's sort of the real me is this mm. you know, this persona that I have online or these aesthetics that I've gathered online and you can start to you know identify more with with your online presence and and be more dissatisfied with you know the humiliating frailties of being a real human with a body (laughs) which is hard to deal with so I think I think that we're living in a in an age where we're increasingly dissociated from our material reality and spending our time in the digital world with mixed results, may I say. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. And I think that would also make sense why if you are very much wrapped up in that reality, that it would seem that you can become anything you want or however you feel on the inside can mm-hmm. be made physical or made into material reality, even though that's not possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, it's yeah, you run into certain limitations. Can you tell us about your time in Ireland? Oh yeah. So um I'm visiting um I'm visiting a couple friends. Um I'm here with my friend um Karina Cohn, who you can find on Twitter under the handle Heterodorks. Um, <laughs> um and we're gonna meet up with some some uh other people who are sort of I guess in the gender critical scene. Um and we're also just, you know, having a having a little walk around and Fun. enjoying ourselves. So yeah. Yeah. Well, where can everyone find you and what are you working on next? So you can find me at Hormone Hangover on Twitter and you can find my blog at hormonehangover.substack.com. Um, I also am part of a patient advocacy 
group called uh, Gender Care Consumers Advocacy Network, and that's uh, gccan.org, where you can find some of my stances for improvements to gender health care. Um, and I am currently just working on some writing for my blog and I think trying to trying to figure out a way forward in this super contentious sort of culture war around gender and the body. Well, awesome. You're doing an amazing job. I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. 